Good morning. It's good to be with you all here today. Um, feels like it's been a little bit of a disconnected year. Or not disconnected, but I've been apart. So I'm going to be reading from Psalms 40. Um, if you want, you can turn there. But if you don't, it's cool because I'm going to be reading it. So Psalms 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. <clears throat> I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who, to, who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those, who be, let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all of you who seek you, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. The thrust of what we'd like to speak about this morning is the Lord our trust. Do we assign Him as the one who is able? Is the Son of God the one who is able, or is it you and I? The writer here clearly speaks of his, of his own failure. He speaks of his own iniquity. He speaks of his, of his own missteps. 
But we see him again crying as the father in our story. I believe, now help my unbelief. I believe you are, but I realize my own frailty. Our story brings about a dramatic change of events. Uh, The previous text speaks of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so we have a a change of elevation here, not only physically, but spiritually. From the comparative high of being in the presence of, of divinity to the low of being in the presence of of demons. (laughs) J.C. Ryle says, let us learn from these verses how dependent Christ's disciples are on the company and help of their master. You see, in the presence of Christ on the mountain or in the presence of the demonic, It is the presence of Christ that truly matters. It is our reliance on him, the necessity that he is with us. John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And here's the key, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, if we're to consider one thing this morning, is that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Again, our text is Mark chapter 9. I'll begin reading at verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy 
was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is God's word. Again, if we step back and look at this as a story, we see, again, Jesus coming down from the mountain. And you can imagine the conversation with the three as what they had witnessed was um, quite divine. And you can see them coming upon this scene of argumentation. This is not something that was foreign to Jesus. It seemed these scribes were around him at all times, seeking ways to argue, to entrap. And we see that as they recognize Jesus, they are glad to see him. They run to him. I'm sure his disciples were glad for the reprieve from the debate. I'm sure the father was glad to see Jesus because that's who he was hoping to see. But Jesus kind of pushes through all that and says, what were you guys arguing about? Because clearly you were arguing. In silence. Neither the scribes nor the disciples attempt to say what the argument was about. But the one with the need, the Father, again begs of Jesus to help him. And we see in, in this interaction, Jesus attempts to figure out more. So how long has this been so? What sort of things have occurred? You know, you'd think, uh, you'd think if, you were, if, if I was that father, I'd be like, that doesn't matter. Heal him. <laughs> you know, this background stuff doesn't mean anything. We just need to get to the point here. But the father says uh, something along the lines, please help us. Have compassion on us. If you can do anything, please do it. And we see Jesus almost a bit indignantly saying, if I can, if I can, what sort of faith is that? It's kind of like, you know, go to town and get me some stuff if you can, knowing that you have a driver's license and a car. And Jesus, in that moment, requests faith. Do you believe that I can? Do you believe that I am the one who can heal? And the Father gives his belief as much as he can. He says, I do believe. I've got a lot of unbelief. I've got a lot of things I don't understand. Please help me. And Jesus heals I'd like us to consider this morning that in the midst of our weakness of faith and affliction from sin, Jesus is the only source of our deliverance. He is able. In a story, we see that the devil seeks to destroy. We see that as human nature to be self-reliant. But we see that Jesus is able to overcome both. 
And so first of all, we see that the devil seeks to destroy. The father's witness of his son in this case is that the demon sought to destroy the boy over a period of time in his life. We see that in the case of the demon-possessed man in the Decapolis, that he tore his body with stones and he was uncontrollable. And that when Jesus cast him into the swine, they ran to their death. Some may say that the boy was simply experiencing medical epilepsy. If you're a rationalist and you want to try to rationalize away this demonic activity. But the text clearly states a demonic presence. And we can't ignore that. I'll take a little detour to talk about that here for a little bit. The idea of demonic possession is something most of us are very uncomfortable with. I can imagine that the disciples and the people of that time were quite uncomfortable with it as well. As this boy is described, it's, it's not something that much, many of us would kind of push into and want to get closer to. But I think if we're honest with this text, we must clearly say that demonic presence can take residence in a person and can affect their physical body. We don't know what that looks like in, in our time. But for us to just simply deny that out of hand, I think does injustice to the text here and other texts. Ultimately, though, from this passage, we can see that they are subservient to the bidding of God in Christ. That no human has the power to cast them out. It is only by faith in Jesus, expressed in prayer, that summons his power to cast out this affliction. Elsewhere, when Jesus instructs his disciples concerning demons, he says that they cast them out in his name. They're not to go about declaring to the demons to, to go away. They're to call upon the name of Jesus to do so. Jesus holds that power, not man. And as we observe in this story, perfect faith or belief is not necessary. The Matthew account describes the faith necessary as a mustard seed. And here the father cries out in recognition of his own little faith. And Jesus, on the basis of that faith, acts and does what only he can do. He delivers. Again, the only thing we can claim in the face of demonic activity is that Jesus is able to deliver. And so, very clearly, the course of this, the actions of the demons, is to destroy. Secondarily, our nature in these situations is to rely on our ability to solve. So I think it's our tendency to, to kind of do what we can do, to try to understand what we understand. And then when we get in over our heads, then we go, Jesus, help us. In this story, the demons attempted to cast out the demon on their own. And we can see that probably the scribes had a high time uh, making fun of them and making fun of their inability. Our world does the same to the supposed ones who 
cast out demons and heal on their own power. Uh, they're made a mockery of. But we see that the disciples weren't, um, weren't doing what they ought to have been doing. And I think often we see a couple types of people rise up in these situations. And I think in, in these kind of general assessments, I see myself in both of them. And hopefully you can assess it that way as well. The first person we may see is the, the, the kind of self-assured, smooth talker. Uh, Romans 16 describes this person as one who causes divisions and creates obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but by their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Paul instructs us to avoid such a person. This person always has the answer, as if everyone would just listen to them, it would all turn out. In this story, I think this was probably the disciples. Oh, a demon. We've cast out one of these before. And guess what? The Father came to us. Jesus isn't here. Now's our time. We got this. There shouldn't be a problem. The second person we see is the doubter or the argumentative person. In this case, I think it was the scribes. Again, you can imagine their glee at the failure of the disciples. You guys think that you can do this. You guys think you have the power that Jesus has. Maybe in modern times, this person is the question everything guy. Everything is a cause for questions. And in the end, every question can't be answered definitively. And so there's a, a general cloud of doubt that surrounds this person. For sure, we are to question everything. I personally think that we don't question things enough. But there's a difference between questioning from a position of doubt and criticism, as I think we see here, and questioning out of a desire to learn or to know truth. One is a, a closed hand, dealing a blow after blow after blow. Never really wanting to receive an answer. Just simply wanting to cast doubt. See, you guys can't cast out that demon. See, Jesus really isn't as powerful as he says he is. See, it's just not the way you think it is. The good kind of questioning is one that with an open hand seeks to truly know, desiring to see the love and beauty our world contains and to hear from the creator of it. Again, I think we can find ourselves in these places. It's easy to just ask questions. But do we ask these questions from a true desire to know and to understand? As we continue in the story, Jesus displays pain and disappointment at the faithless and unbelieving generation. And he asks kind of a rhetorical question, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? I think Jesus' disappointed, disappointment is pointed at both the disciples and the scribes. The scribes were doing their usual questioning and doubting, and the disciples' inability to cast out the demon 
showed their lack of faith. Rather than appeal to God in prayer and cast it out in the power of Christ, they attempted to go it alone. Matthew 17 states a fuller reason why the disciples were not able to cast out the demon. Jesus says there, because you have little faith. If we combine that with Jesus says in verse 29 here, this kind cannot be driven out with anything but prayer, we can assume that the disciples were trying to do something on their own or simply in over their heads. It seems likely that they forgot that their power came from Christ. We can see Jesus sort of in dismay, saying, how often have we had this conversation? How often have I declared to you my power? How quickly you turn away. I guess the question for us to consider is, how often are we the same? In whatever things we face, how often do we try to simply do it on our own? and then discover we are in over our heads. But the solution is not to try harder. The solution is not to find a specialist. You know, the, I think those are our two things we go to when we kind of run out of options. We say, well, I gotta dive in and dig in harder. Or secondarily, we say, well, let me find somebody who's really good at this. And often our failure is, is the place where our desires and our nature run perp perpendicular with, with what Jesus wants of us. It is these moments of unbelief, it is in these moments of unbelief that we fail. When things go badly in any situation, often it is where we are not believing to obedience, the words of God. It's where we seek our own instead of obedience. At the core of it, our downfall is doubting that Jesus is able. But our text declares that he is able. Jesus gives these two statements of sort of dismay, and then he says, bring him to me. Bring him to me, and let me show you my power. Bring him to me is the command. It identifies that Jesus wields the power over Satan and death. We see that the demon immediately reacts to the presence of Christ and, and sends the boy into a seizure-like state. But on the command of Christ, he departs. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God alone bears that power. God alone can dismiss the demon. God alone can bring truth and order into our lives. But again, God doesn't stand kind of apart from us and say, you know, come all the way. You have to believe fully. He can see the burning ember of faith that exists and overcome our unbelief. And so we have the statement, I believe. Again, the Matthew account says that this belief is as small as a mustard seed. We're not talking about a fully settled belief. We're not talking about something that is absolutely sure. 
but something that in our finite and limited understanding, Jesus is the one we can trust. As we look around our world, the many things that one could trust, and that we fall prey to trusting in, in our goodness, in our abilities, in wealth, in social prowess, We tend to trust those things. But Jesus calls us now to trust him. And he says that his word will not return void, that he is able. Secondarily, the cry of help my unbelief. In our, in our act of faith, we recognize that we are limited. We do not arrogantly hold that our faith is of sufficient quality to enact God's action on our behalf. We realize that ultimate truth and wisdom are found in Christ. And we realize our unbelief in fully living out of that truth. Often recognizing our inability is this first step in recognizing Jesus' ability. And so in every situation, our posture should be one of humble acknowledgement of our limited ability and his supreme capability. So what does this look like in real life? How do we bring to practice a statement of belief that also recognizes our unbelief? I think when we face difficulty, we seek, first of all, Christ instead of seeking our own solutions. And then secondly, when we see ourselves depending on ourselves, we recognize our foolishness, and we beg of God to change us. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and a recognition of Christ is, is not something that you've done. Maybe there's a little thread that you continue to ask, who is Jesus? Can he truly change my life? The cry is not, I am worthy, but the cry is, I am unworthy, and he is willing. As we face our tasks this week, as we exist in a world that is full of unbelief, let's do so in the presence of Christ. As we face difficulty this week, let us beg of Christ to be alongside us and to be what we cannot. Because he is able. Let's pray. Father, this morning we recognize our weakness. We recognize our inability to fully see all that you are. We recognize our frailty, our frailty of understanding, our frailty of faith. And Father, we cry out that you would help our unbelief. Father, that you would move into our lives, that you would in the daily working out of life, uh, bring to pass things that strengthen our faith. 
work in your power to allow us to see your nature, to allow us to see your goodness. Father, in the struggles of our lives, may we seek not by our own power to resolve them, but that we would first seek your power in them. Father, pray that you would do this in each of us for the glory of Christ. Amen.